We're talking about growing in favor with men. We have went through the D of discipline, and we did uh, the extra introduction going through all of the social graces historically. And we find that um, while there are some cultural aspects that we need to take in consideration, therefore each culture has a little bit different idea of what social graces are, that um, there are some biblical ideas about that and about honor. And that's the focus of it, is how to be respectful toward particularly those in authority. And that really, and your peers as well, as you mature, you realize the necessity and the value of being honorable toward your peers. Uh, at a young age, you don't think like that, and that's why you have brothers and sisters and cousins that beat up on each other. And then hopefully as they get maturing, they realize, well, that's not really appropriate behavior for even my peers, that I should show some semblance of respect and honor toward one another. And this is where, as societies degrade, one of the first things to go with them are, is this area of social, uh, what is socially acceptable, and it simply keeps degrading and degrading and degrading. Uh, and it is correlated with our degradation of our righteousness, of our societies following after God, or even after virtue, that we just stop being interested in what is virtuous. And of course, we have an instruction in God's word that we are supposed to meditate on certain things. And we'll get to there in Philippians here shortly. Uh, but I want to begin by just talking about uh, some of the elements involved in the letter I of our acrostic, D-I-A-P-E-R. So we're on the I now. We've talked about those disciplines that we should be seeing in our children and developing in them and requiring of them. We should require that of them. And sometimes that's going to test us. And we talked about having appropriateness and discipline, uh, that we do it at the right time, in the right place, in the right manner. But we always do it, that we maintain that discipline of what is uh, polite, and what is honorable, what is respectful. I want to take us to a very unusual place to think about being instructed on social expectations. Uh, and uh, when we think about this, uh, there aren't always a bunch of resources that you can lay your hands on and that, you th that come to mind immediately. There used to be. In fact, it used to be that uh, especially for young women, but even for young men, uh, part of your schooling, it was anticipated that you would be schooled in appropriate behavior for young women and young men. Uh, that has devolved now in our public school system. About the closest you get is health class where they tell you, uh, here's girls and here's boys and they make babies. That's about as far as you get. Uh, and there's no uh, understanding of how you should... Uh, go out and behave yourself in society as a young woman or as a young man. But it used to be. And in fact, for young women, when before they really got a lot of schooling, they would, uh, among especially the upper class, would go off to something called finishing school. How many of you ever heard of finishing school? Well, finishing school was a place where you sent a young lady, usually as she was getting into her teen years, uh, and she would go there to learn how to be a 
appropriate young woman, that she would learn proper posture, proper uh, uh, etiquettes, uh, how to set a table, how to cook a meal, how to be a hostess, how to um, care for a household, um, all those things. It was called finishing school. And as you finished finishing school, when you completed that, then you would have something called a debutante. What is a debutante? A coming out. Uh, debutante is when you come out into society and you were expected to be already refined. You were not supposed to be a debutante unless you had completed finishing school so you would know how to behave in public. So you could go to public settings like church or like a, a meeting or like a, a fair and, and, and even as you go out with your family for a walk in the park, you would know how to behave yourself and you wouldn't uh, be inappropriate, you wouldn't be immodest, you would know when to talk and when not to talk and, and how to drink tea with people and how to converse with adults. And that was called finishing school. And as you complete that, you came out into society. And we have completely lost that entirely. And so now we have these young people coming out, in, coming out into society, uh, and uh, whether it's a, a, a Sweet 16 party in, in, Anglo, in, in Anglo cultures, uh, quinceanera, uh, whether it is a bar mitzvah, or, bar, or bar, what's the other one, bat mitzvah for, for girls in the Jewish community, uh, that's when you have this, this movement from childhood to adulthood with certain expectations. But what that has really just become is a celebration of a passage of time and not, there's no instruction about being a, an adult and about what expectations are there now. Uh, when we used to have enormous amounts, and I would really invite you to do a little research. You have all that internet access. You can actually look up some really fascinating uh, curriculum from old finishing schools of what they required. And of course, uh, back when I was a child, they were still around a little bit uh, when I was young. Man. And at, at least the, some of the leftovers of finishing school were still around. And so girls were still uh, taught proper posture uh, and, and it was still kind of left over certain exercises. One of them was that you were taught to how to walk across a room with a book on your head and not drop it. That would be, that would communicate that you're walking like a young lady, that you have proper posture, and it helps you put your shoulders, your neck, your head, your chin, all things where they're supposed to be, and how to move your feet in a proper way without this kind of stuff, okay, without flopping around. And so you would put a book on your head, you had to walk across, and if you couldn't do that, you were not ready to be a debutante, okay? You were not ready to come out into society because you didn't know how to walk. So yes, it got down into that kind of nitty-grittiness and, uh, and the whole concept of what is appropriate relationship between uh, how is a young lady supposed to go out in the adult world and communicate with uh, an older gentleman, with older women, with younger unmarried gentlemen, with younger married gentlemen, with, with, and, and you were taught all of that. So that instruction is out there. We still have some of the curriculum available to us around and about. It's old, very old, um, but it's still fascinating reading. Now, I try to provide some of that to my daughters, and uh, particularly, um, and we have a few books in our church library that I put there, um, and one of them is uh, a book that I have, which is Secret Keeper. 
Uh, and that's the whole idea of modesty. And it just goes through. Uh, and, all right, go through your wardrobe and, and do this. Put a mirror on the floor. Put a mirror in this position. And, and uh, put this on. And then go through normal motions of the day. Look at yourself in the mirror and see what you're exposing. Um, be, and just to try to get them to understand modesty. And, and it's called Secret Keeper. Nice little, this is a nice little book. Um, and we have copies of that for young women. And we have had other books like that for young men uh, that talk about working hard and about uh, just manly topics. In fact, uh, early on in our church, we, we did a Sunday school class and divided men and women, and we had a men's class and a women's class. And we went through uh, similar kinds of books on just what is, what is a godly man like? Um, not just in terms of godliness, but manliness. And how do you treat young women? You know, how do you treat older women? How, how are you to be a gentleman? And how do you relate to older men? And we have portions of Scripture to talk about that too, don't we? In the book of Titus, uh, uh, Paul goes right to it on down, and, and Timothy as well. Here's how you're supposed to treat the older men in the church. Treat them as their, your father. Here's how to treat your, your younger men in the church, as brothers. How, here's how you treat older women. And here's how to avoid younger women. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, let the older women deal with them. Uh, just, just avoid them. Uh, you know, they're your sisters and the Lord, but, but just don't, don't take their, the responsibility for their care because that should land upon the older women of the church. And so we have instruction in God's word like that that teaches us about those. But it used to be a priority in societies uh, of of making sure our young people were finished, that is, uh, prepared and instructed and um, exercised to be proper young men and young women. And we've completely lost that because our societies are degrading and, and we're, we're maybe at the end of a slope that started going down and now is just getting steeper and steeper as it goes because it's just lost. It becomes lost art. And so you're going to have to do some work. Well, I want to take you to the book of the Bible where uh, we have a Bible character that uh, does something very unusual. And that is that she completely uh, commits herself into the hands of someone else to teach her what to do. And she doesn't add or subtract anything to that teaching. Let's go to the book of Esther. The book of Esther. And, of course, you know the story of Esther, all of you I think here do, that uh, the king had a spat with the queen and uh, tossed her out, uh, had to get a new queen because he was feeling kind of bad, and his, uh, his guides all told him to go get all the young virgins of the community, bring them in, and we'll find a new queen instead of Vashti, whoever, and, and they took their turns coming before the the, the king, and he would pick which one of them he would want. And uh, so we have this uh, uh, process described for us in chapter 2 of Esther. And so uh, let's read verse 8 and following and just look at this very briefly. So it was, when the king's command and decree is heard, when many young women were gathered at Shushan, the citadel, in the custody of Haggai, that Esther was also taken to the king's palace into the care of Haggai, the custodian of the women. Now the young woman pleased him, and she obtained his favor. 
Okay, notice that. She obtained his favor. Even before anything else started, she obtained his favor. Tells you something about her upbringing under Mordecai. So he readily gave beauty preparations to her besides her allowance. Then seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maidservants to the best place in the house of the women. Esther had not revealed her people or her family, for Mordecai charged her not to reveal it. And every day, Mordecai paced in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. Each young woman's turn came to go into King Hasuerus after she had completed 12 months' preparation. So their finishing school was 12 months. Okay, according to the regulations for the women, for thus were the days of their preparation apportioned, six months with oil of myrrh, six months with perfumes and preparations for beautifying women. So six months of trying to get as nice a skin as possible and as pretty as you can and smelling good. Okay, all those things are kind of important socially, by the way. Thus prepared, each young woman went to the king, and she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the women's quarters to the king's palace. In the evening she went in, and in the morning she returned to the second house of the women to the custody of Shaashgaz, the king's eunuch who kept the concubines. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her and called for her by name. Now when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abahael, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as her, his daughter to go into the king, she requested nothing but what Haggai, the king's eunuch, the, custo the custodian of the women, advised. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. And of course, you know the rest of the story, that he went in and, and he fell in love with her above all. So I want you to notice three stations in this process of Esther becoming queen, becoming favorable to the king's sight. And not only sight, but more than that. And so there are three stations we're going to talk about. Number one is her station before she arrived. That she arrived, and I'm going to go to the last station, because I think it tells you a little bit about why um, she was so favored by the king's eunuch right away. Is because she comes in, and I want you to notice that she simply accepts whatever instruction he gives her. She has an attitude that says, I'm not going to choose what suits me because I don't know the king. Okay? And so at the last station, when it was her turn to go in, what does it say? She didn't pick anything for herself. All the other women were like, oh, I like this color. I don't like that color. Oh, that, that. Oh, I, I, you know, they were picking what they liked. And then they went into the king. What they thought made them look beautiful or whatever, or appealing, or uh, that would entice him to make them their, his queen. And so they got to choose. When we come to Esther at this last station, we find something that I think reveals why at the first station he favored her. And that is that she simply said, you choose what I wear. She comes to the one who's in charge of all of these gals. And remember, they've gone, had this relationship. She's been under his watch care for a year. All of these women have. And so he, she's brought into this watch care and all of them, but she 
comes to him and just says, you choose, I trust your judgment. After a year of getting careful instruction and, and preparations for uh, her presentation to the king, uh, she comes and says, I trust your dis- discretion. I-, I trust what you think I should wear. And essentially she takes him shopping with her. Because <laughs> it's anything in the women's quarters. Uh, you tell me, does this look make me look fat? You know, no, <laughs> that's the old adage, right? Does this make... Well, um, she says, you choose. I trust your decision. And it's not about what I think I like. It's not what my, that's not my style. Can you imagine? Uh, well, that's what the other women were doing. Well, that's not my style. I wouldn't wear that. This is my, you know, this is my, more of my personality. And we try to uh, dress those kinds of things. Uh, my hair should look like this because this is how I like it. And without ever thinking, how do other people important to me like it? We don't, Consider those things. They're the ones that have to look at you, by the way, not you. When do you look at yourself and your appearance? When do you look at yourself? Come on. In the morning. How long? Yeah, so for men with a... If you, you don't need a beard. <laughs> yeah, you just a little trim right here. All right, so five minutes or so. Uh, women maybe more, a little longer, especially if you're trying to dull yourself a little bit. Um, but uh, uh, that's it. Who looks at you from then on? Everyone else. So what does it matter what you think you should look like when we're the ones that have to look at you? Why doesn't our opinion matter? Why doesn't your husband's opinion matter? Why don't your parents' opinion matter? Why don't other people's uh, I have to look at you. Why does it matter to them? And so you want to make your hair like blue and orange? Okay, um, I don't want to look at that. I don't know of anyone that does, frankly. If you want to, you know, ink yourself up and, 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 and put metal all over your body in every conceivable place you can think to pierce, um, I don't really want to look at that. In fact, when I encounter you, I'm not even going to hardly look at you. I'm going to go, oh, man, while I'm talking to you, I'm going to do this and look at the ground and go, why did this person do this to themselves? Um, At some point, we should be thinking, well, how do I present it? So here is Esther, and what is her approach? You know the king. I don't know him. You also knew the last queen. And remember, what started all this? The king was sorry he got rid of Vashti. He still really loved her. Well, who knew Vashti? The eunuch. He knew what her style was. He knew what the king liked. And so she trusted his judgment about it. And so when we take that last stage and we bring it to the front, all right, so right away, as soon as she arrives, it says, the young woman, in verse 9, pleased him, and she obtained his favor. And so what kind of young woman entrusts to this other person her appearance to go before the king instead of her own judgment, trust his judgment? What kind of woman, what kind of character did she have when she arrived? She didn't develop that character over the years. She had it. So what kind of attributes do you think she possessed? Compliance, 
Humility. You're going to have to be humility. You're going to have to consider others' opinions as important. You're going to have to think of others. You have to be a considerate person. Okay, and so while she may have certainly had natural beauty, I'm pretty sure everyone there was a knockout. They're not going to collect the, the, the dog faces for the king. They're just not going to do it, okay? And so this was more than a beauty pageant. Uh, this was something more substantial, and something about her just struck him. Well, she comes in. She is considerate. She is humble. She is polite. I would contend she is polite. She is not self-serving. And here's the word we would use. She was low maintenance. There's the modern terminology. We had a discussion about that at our dinner table, who's, what high maintenance means. Um, I wasn't directly involved in the conversation. I was just a listener. I didn't really involve myself in that. It was kind of fun listening to these three talk about what high maintenance is. Were you in that? Yeah, he was there too. So what it meant to be high maintenance. So... She was low maintenance. That is, she could come in and she was easy to please, and that was pleasing. And she was considerate of others. She was polite, kind, and certainly that she was uh, going to uh, be teachable. I think that's a really important word, to be teachable, which we don't see very much these days. And so what is it? She comes in and gains his favor right away. So that's stage one. Stage two in this is what happens when she gained his favor? She got the inside track. Do you see how she was treated? <laughs> well, it is who you know sometimes, or at least who you please. And so because she pleased him, and he was in charge of the whole thing, she gets fast-tracked. She gets sent to the best house. She gets the best maidservants, it says in verse 9, the ch seven choice maidservants provided for her from the case. So she gets the best seven attendants to her. She gets the best in the house of the women, the best location and the best treatment. She is treated the best because of this, of her coming in and having a different attitude that this wasn't something that she was uh, a shoe in for, that she deserved, but rather I, I'm here, I've been, I've been brought in, and, and, and her humility is very evident. And it shows at the last stage. And so she gets all this training. She gets the best training. Now, was she trained to be a Persian queen? Before she got there. What was she trained to be? A nice Hebrew girl. <laughs> That's what she was trained to be. So, in addition to all the beauty treatments, what else did she need to learn? All the social etiquette of the king's court in Persia. It'd be like me picking you guys, one of, the, uh, it's like me setting up an arranged marriage for my daughter to a, a royalty in India. Well, what does she know about royalty in India and their lifestyle? And what is proper and improper there? Nothing. Right? No, okay, yeah. Okay, glad to hear that. No, no, no Indian princes. All right. 
And so she would have to take the time to learn. So this gal is on a, is on a learning curve because she's at a disadvantage. She didn't, wasn't raised Persian. So in the second phase, we talked about all the beauty treatments. She also had to learn all the proper etiquette of being a Persian queen and, or a Persian concubine, whatever. She's in the Persian royal house from this point on. She had to learn all that. And we have a very teachable spirit, a very humble person who is willing to accept the, the, the discernment and the wisdom of others and bring them into her life and simply put herself in other people's hands. And she'd already done that to Mordecai. She'd submitted to what he said to do. And this I want to focus in on. I know I'm picking on young women, but this is my biblical example, so it applies to young men as well, the degree of understanding and need to submit to your elders. Um, but uh, this gal understood submission. She submitted to Mordecai. Now what could she have said to Mordecai? Come on. You're not my dad. <laughs> right? Because was he her dad? Was he her uncle? Cousin. They were cousins. Okay? Because Esther's father was Mordecai's uncle. So they were cousins. You're not my dad. I don't have to listen to you. That's not the spirit that was in Esther. She had a submissive spirit. And I think Mrs. Fry said she was, she was, she was willing to comply. Uh, well, that's submission. She was submissive to Mordecai, her older cousin, quite a bit older cousin. She was submissive to him. And then she was submissive to the eunuch there and just said, give me whatever you think I need. And I want you to look at the end of verse 15. Uh, she, uh, she requested nothing but what Haggai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the women, advised. I'm going to follow your advice. Um, and then look at the last state. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. All her handmaidens, her seven handmaidens, all the eunuch staff, all her competition that hadn't yet gone into the king, all of them on the, on the virgin side of the harim, um, all of them said, wow. So she had learned, she had submitted, she had, she had been listening to this advice, and it ended with being favorable not only to the eunuch, but to the king. And so this is a, a biblical example I'm using, and again, that we uh, don't be afraid to instruct and to, and to clearly communicate to our children that they need to listen and trust our advice when it comes to these matters because they are still children and don't know what adults are looking for. I don't care if all your peers at school are doing that because they're not the ones you need to impress in life until they're owners of companies and by then they'll hopefully be mature enough not to be impressed by that junk from school. Um, and in fact, we have seen uh, all of this stuff in the last election cycle where they were bringing out pictures from people's college days when they've dressed up in blackface and how horrible that was and, and how racist that was. And it was like, um, well, that was just the way it was back then. We, we 
addressed it, that in the 60s, 70s. It was no big deal. We didn't have all these political correct rules against uh, you know, um, cultural uh, identity stuff. Uh, but they all got in trouble for it. Why? Because they were just hanging out with their friends. They weren't thinking about their future. Uh, all that's postings on Facebook and social media. Uh, why should you trust what your parents, what adults, what mentors tell you should and shouldn't be on there? Is because they know what employers are going to look for. They know what mature adults are going to look for. And they know what future spouses are going to look for. They're not going to look for all the silliness of you trying to get your friends to hit the like button many, many times. Because that doesn't matter once you get out into the adult world. That is not what's going to bring you into favor with men in, in the manner that, that the adult world. And so, who are adults in your life? Those are the ones who need to instruct you on what social graces you need to function in the adult world. And the most foolish thing a child ever says is, you never, your generation never gets mine. But the reverse is actually the problem. The problem is, is that their generation doesn't understand adulthood at all. And now we have millennials, and, and here's the term, we're adulting. Right? When are they adulting? Like in their 30s, they're still learning to adulting. I'm adulting. In their late 20s, they're adulting. I was like, I'm pretty sure I was adulting like at, at 15, 16. I was expected to do adulting, which means get a job, be responsible, handle my money, and be appropriate and be respectful and how to treat young women and how to be an adult. I was expected to start producing adulting in my life in my teens, not in my 20s and 30s. And so we, this is the problem. The younger generation doesn't know what it means to function in adulthood. That's why they need to be advised. And this young woman didn't know what it meant to really be in a Persian royal court. So she followed the advice. She was, she was teachable. She was humble, teachable. She wasn't just a pretty face. She had a beautiful spirit, a godly spirit. She, she evidenced that she was obedient to Mordecai. She is obedient to the eunuch, and she's going to be very respectful towards her husband. It just follows. And so this is why we do instruction. So yes, get some curriculum. It's going to take a little bit of work. Find it. Uh, find out maybe you never got taught it, and it's time to learn it yourself and to get some curriculum out there. And let's go to Philippians chapter 4 to look at some biblical curriculum here. Now that we've done our example, um, for us tonight. I already referenced it a little bit in Philippians 4, verse 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do and the God of peace will be with you. So, uh, this is Paul talking to the Philippian church, saying, listen, we all know that there is the noble and ignoble in society. Okay, There are people out there that are not nice. They, we know that there are just and the unjust. 
We know that there are things that are pure and there are things that are impure and evil. We know that there are things that are lovely and there are things that are ugly. We know that there are things that have good report and there are things that we know uh, all the gossip is about that. So what are you going to look for? You're going to look for those things that are on this list. And he says, where did you get this information about measuring these, making the discernment? When is the child able to discern the difference between just and unjust, between lovely and unlovely? Okay, and that's not just about beauty, although beauty may be a part of that, but it's what is loving, of kind, and, and just yeah, that, and, and good. Whatever things are good report. When does a child discern these things? My answer is when they're an adult. <laughs> they don't discern it as a child. That's why they need you to communicate to them, that's impure, this is pure. That's wrong, this is right. That's not just, that's not um, uh, honest. This is honest, this is just. And th that is, uh, it may seem popular, it might seem fun, but does it have a good reputation? What is the reputation of that activity? Okay, so... When I was growing up in Roanoke, Virginia, as a teenager learning to drive, and I had my little Vega that uh, was my, I think it was my parents' car, yeah, but it was for us teenagers to drive around because it was worth absolutely nothing. Um, and it, every time I filled up the gas tank, I had to also put a quart of oil in it. And so that tells you what kind of vehicle it was. Uh, and so in, in Roanoke, Virginia, there was Williamson Road. Now, when I was a young man, uh, I, Williamson Row was known for something called cruising. Now, cruising isn't like here in Albuquerque where you get the cars that bounce and all those kind of things and you go as slow as you can and try to have lights and all that. Cruising was just going from stoplight to stoplight and seeing who's at the stoplight and, and maybe if there's somebody that wants to race you and, and showing off and, and, and there's a lot of alcohol involved, things like that. And so my... Every now and then, my brother and I would go out cruising in the Vega, okay? Because I needed to learn to drive, and I had to have night driving on my license. They had that back then, too. So he would take me out night driving. So we said, well, let's go cruising. So we cruised Williamson Road. And we had a very bizarre sense of our worth in Williamson Road because a Vega, if you don't know what a Vega does, it does like 0 to 50 in like four hours, Okay, so it takes a long time to get from zero to 50 in a Vega. And so it's kind of silly to be out there revving an engine uh, in a little Vega. But uh, I was out there and uh, we, had, we, we learned something really cool is that we could cloud an entire intersection by revving the engine at the light because it burns so much oil. We could put a blue cloud over the entire intersection. Vroom, vroom. That's what it really sounded like. And billows would just be coming out of our... And we would cloud the whole intersection. Especially if we got there right when it was yellow, you always stopped because you wanted to make sure you stopped at yellow because you wanted to be there for the whole red light because you really want to be there when it turns green and go... Well, you know, the whole intersection would be blue. And we thought that was the funniest thing. So, when I go and... and my youth pastor, what were you doing yesterday? Oh, we went at cruising. Why? Don't you know that has a bad reputation? And we were chastised by our youth pastor, and rightly so, because it did have a bad reputation. There was alcohol, there was naughtiness, there was things going on there that, uh, frankly, I didn't know was going on. 
But he did. He had an idea. And he was like, you shouldn't be out there doing that. You better stop doing that. And, and he's like, why would a young man like you want to be out there anyway? I was like, I was just night driving, you know. And, and we were getting Dunkin' Donuts and chocolate milk. And, you know, we, we didn't have any alcohol or anything that looked like it. Um, and, uh, but it ha- didn't have a good report, so why are you doing it? And we need to be instructed in those kind of things. Your children need, because they don't know what the adult world is like. They don't get your generation. That's the problem. They keep saying, you don't understand their generation, but you do. The problem, the generation gap, is that they don't know what adults will expect of them. And that's why they should be in a condition to be advised. And we should be ready to instruct them. And we don't need to wait for that, for their permission to do that. We do that immediately at a very young age. We're going to teach them to be polite. We're going to teach them to be courteous. We're going to teach them what adults will want them to be like as they grow up. And as they go out in the adult world. You, unfortunately, are their finishing school because there is no such thing anymore. They won't teach them this in school. Uh, You need to teach them. And maybe that's something. We need to have a Sunday school class that's called Finish finishing school, Sunday school class, just to teach appropriateness of what's right and wrong in the adult world and what's the right apparel for the right occasion and, and things along that line and, and that we might behave godly. And so Paul tells the Philippians, you need to meditate, you put your mind on these things. Why? How did you know that? You learned them, you received them, you heard them, and you saw them in me. We're going to talk about the... Uh, saw them in me and heard them, but you learned them, you received them. At some point you had to know and be instructed in these areas. You need to instruct your children what the adult world, because they have no clue what the adult world is expecting from them. None. And so they don't get you. That's the problem. And they don't understand what it means to go to work every day. They don't need what, know what it, they understand what it means to pay their own bills every day and that no one else is going to come pay them for them. They don't understand what it means that if you show up uh, four hours late, three hours late for your shift, that, that you're not going to keep a job um, because you allow them to do things late. You tell them to take out the trash and they do it at their leisure instead of when you tell them. Uh, they need to learn how to function in the adult world if they're going to be in favor with men. And it is for you to teach that to them because you are in the adult world. And they don't get it. You know, they don't understand um, how, what is of good report. You should be communicating to them what is pure, what is just, what is noble. And nobility and virtue are things that we have lost. And yes, I really encourage you to get a hold of the Book of Virtues and study it um, and and consider it but ultimately the book of virtue is the bible okay but there is a book called the book of virtues that talks about being honest and being kind and and being just and all those things uh old book and it's worthwhile to teach them to your children starting at a very young age let's learn a virtue every day and then go through the book multiple times if if that's something you're into a year but live them out don't just teach them and so we're supposed to be meditating on these virtuous things, on praiseworthy things, okay? And so, um, and sometimes when we see young people wandering off into what their peers are doing, thinking it's cool, going out cruising, we need to remind them, you know, that's not really praiseworthy. 
that's not really virtuous, that doesn't have a good report. There's a lot of impure things going on out there that, on Williamson Road on Friday night and Saturday night in Roanoke, Virginia, at least back in the 80s. Well, no, I graduated in the 80s, so it would be the 70s, late 70s. And so we need to communicate that because they don't understand. They don't know the adult world. They don't get us. So we need to teach it to them and instruct them. It is, it is your responsibility so that they might show up like Esther at the first meeting and, be, and people look upon them favorably because they know how to communicate to adults. They know how to talk. They know how to act. They know how to be polite. They know how to say yes, sir, and no, ma'am. And they know how to uh, submit to authority and to honor people. And it begins at home. It began with Mordecai, and it continued all the way, and I am convinced that it is the key to her becoming queen. Okay? Any questions, comments? I'm done two minutes early. Very good. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for uh, your word, and we pray that we might truly set our mind on things above and on things on the earth. But we also know that we have to live among men. And Lord, that there is no reason for us to be rude and impolite. Um, they're going to hate us enough because of the gospel, because we are followers of you. Lord, we do not need to give them any further reason uh, to do so. And Lord, we pray that you might uh, just help us be exemplary one to another of what it means to honor and respect and and to uh, be submissive one to another, that we might also uh, know that the world should see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. And Lord, we want you to have the glory, not us. We don't want the praise of men. We want the favor of men that they might praise you. And we pray that you might help us to strike that balance in our own lives and communicate it effectively to our children. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.